Okay, so some of you got your bulletin, and you're like, if you're a guest, you saw in there the bottom line for today, which is, who's your daddy? And you're like, what kind of church is this, right? This place is crazy. True, uh, but let me explain that a little bit, all right? Um, who's your daddy? Today we're talking about, we're in Romans 6. If you've got your Bibles, we're, we're continuing in our Romans series, The Glorious Exchange. We're finishing up chapter 6, and today Paul's talking about slavery. And he's talking about you're either slave to sin or you're slave to righteousness. So in essence, Paul is saying, who are you slave to? Who's your master? Or who's your daddy? So that's kind of where we're going today. That's what Paul's dealing with. And if you remember, uh, one of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans. And in that movie, right, they're, they're integrating T.C. Williams School. Uh, and, and they're doing it a lot through the football program, those kinds of things. And there is this scene where uh, there's a young white kid, arrogant kid. He's like, we're bucking the system. He's, he's like, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to, I'm, my daddy doesn't like this. I'm, you know, and they're standing outside. Uh, Denzel Washington, which plays Coach Boone, he's trying to get all the kids on the bus, right? And he's saying, hey, everybody on the bus. And this kid's like, no, I'm not doing what you tell me to do. And there's this whole scene where Denzel says, you know, he says, I'm basically a thirding, uh, 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 inserting authority over him and saying, who's your daddy? And the boy, you know, just kind of like, mm, you know, he's mad about it. And he says, boy, I said, who's your daddy? Or he's going to kick him off the team. Who's your daddy? And he says, you are. He says, louder. Who's your daddy? He says, you are. He says, now get on the bus, right? Essentially what he's doing there, he's saying, okay, who's in charge? Who do you fall under? Who's, who has the authority in this situation? Who's your daddy? And so he's setting up this whole scenario. Well, that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's asking the question, Who's your daddy? Who, whose authority do you fall under? Who, who do you answer to? Who is your master? Who are you bound to? Now, uh, in, our, in our culture, we've got to deal with a couple of things because we have a warped sense of freedom. Right? When, I say, when we say freedom, we immediately go to freedom of speech, freedom of choice, freedom of religion, freedom of vote, uh, freedom of press, those kinds of things. Right? Uh, we say we live in a, uh, you know, we're in a free country. Right, but our freedom uh, isn't free in the sense that we can do whatever we want. Right? If you go streaking down Broad Street, you are not free to do that. Okay? You will be tackled and arrested and covered up. Hopefully, right? Like that's that's what will happen to you. Like you're not free to do that. Uh, and so, freedom doesn't mean a freedom from responsibility, a freedom from rules. Those kinds of things. So that is also true uh, about when the Bible talks about freedom. Because this is what happens. A lot of believers say, well, I'm free to do whatever I want. Okay, well, biblical freedom isn't a freedom from responsibility and rules. It, 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 is a, it, it is not, every time the Bible talks about freedom, it's talking about a freedom from sin. You are free from sin. You are free from needing or relying on or having to do sin. And, and, and so we have taken our concept of freedom, we can do whatever we want, we've put it onto God. Okay, well then, if this is freedom, then really what God has done is He's freed me to do whatever I want to do. And, and so that's not entirely the case. And so here's a couple of verses just to show you what I'm talking about. 
uh, about freedom in the Bible. It says, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Uh, Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So these are a freedom from sin. It's, it's, a, it's a freedom from the slavery that is sin. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, a lot. Now, the reverse implication of this is that if the Bible says you are free from sin, that means that at some point in your life you were bound by sin. You were not free from sin. So if we say, I have been freed, it means that at some point you were not free, which is true. Matter of fact, Romans 6 says you were slave to sin. You were slave to it. Now you say, no, not me. I'm not, I wasn't slave to it. I could have done, I could have done it or not done it. I could, have, I, could have, I could have been free. I could have gotten out of sin. Really? By yourself, you, you could have done that. Yeah, I could have done it. Okay. Uh, you, you, no, you couldn't have. None, you know, we talked about Romans says no one is good. No, not one. Yeah, but that doesn't really mean not good. I, I'm kind of good, David. I'm a good man. I take care of my family. I pay my taxes. I root for the Titans. I'm a good guy, right? Okay, let's talk about that because in reality, the standard is not our standard. The standard is God's standard, right? So let's go to the basics of God's standard, which is the Ten Commandments. Right? Ten Commandments. Let's see if, if we got any takers here who are good according to God's standard. Let's deal with this one. It says, Those, Thou shalt not lie. Anyone in here never told a lie? No. And if you did, you're lying now. So that's at least your second lie, okay? So you've committed, you've lied. You've broken that commandment. That makes you a liar. You'd say, eh, I'm not a liar. I just lie sometimes. No. Liar. Okay. Uh, another one. Okay. Have you ever put anything in, 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 in the place in your heart that God only deserves? You put anything before God? Yes, we've all done that. We've all done that. Right? Okay, here's one. Thou shalt now murder. Some of you are like, ah, I'm feeling pretty good about that one. Yes, I got one. Right? Except the guy in the back, he's like, don't ask me to raise my hand. <laughs> right? But here's the thing about that one. You think you're good, but then Jesus comes and he says, okay, you've heard it said do not murder, but I've said if you have anger and hatred in your heart towards your brothers, then you've committed murder. Wow. Murderers. We're all murderers, right? You know how I know that? Because you drove here today. Right? Get out of the way, right? We've all had anger in our heart, right? And, and so, no, we... we when the standard is is God, then we all fall short. See, we all think we're pretty good because we keep our standard where we, you know, on the people around us. So I'm pretty good compared to the people around me. But that's not the standard. That's not the biblical standard. And that's not the standard that we will be evaluated upon to enter, to enter into heaven. The standard is God's standard. Do we measure up? And no, we don't. We don't measure up. And so the problem is with that is James says that if, if we've broken one law, it says we are guilty for breaking the entire law. So if you've lied, you told one little white lie, well, it's not that bad. No, it's terrible. It means you've broken the whole thing. And so we've all there. That's why Romans 3 says all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen. We've 
all sin. We've broken the entirety of the law. And so what that means then is that that because before we were Christians, before because we, we were slaves to sin, it mastered us. It owned us. It was our daddy. It was reign and rule of our hearts and lives. It, it, it owned us. It shackled us. This is what it's like before you're Christian. This is what it's like before you believe in Christ. And then the even bigger problem is before Christ, you loved doing it. You, you loved it. You, you might, now you say, no, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't do that. I was, I, no, you did. Now, you might not have loved the consequences of sin. But before Christ, you reveled in it. You loved it. You did it. You, you loved the, the temporary satisfaction it brought more than you hated the consequence of it. That's what we were. That's, that's why we kept going back to it, because it was what we longed for. It was what our hearts were bent towards. It was what gave us a moment of, okay, that's me. That's, where I, that's what I want to do. And so it mastered us. It owned us. It, it had us. We did whatever it wanted us to do. We were slaves, slaves to it, slaves to sin. And without Christ, that's where we were. You're a slave to sin before Christ, before you're a Christian. You master by it. Look, look, look at, let me give you a couple of verses just to show you. Because a lot of times we think we can stop anytime, right? And sin didn't master me. Sin didn't, I wasn't slave to sin. I can, I can stop sin anytime, right? I will cold turkey this habit. I will get rid of this. I can get, I can do it. I, I will white knuckle this thing. I'll be done with it. Well, no, because then let's say you do stop, you know, maybe, maybe you struggle with alcoholism. You stop drinking, right? I'm going to quit drinking. Well, then, it's, then it just comes rushing in. It's pride and self-worship, and it's never true freedom because the issue isn't the sin. The issue is the heart, and your heart is slave to death and sin entirely. Now, look. Uh, John 8, 34, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Practices meaning this is what you do. It's what you, 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 your life is defined by doing sin, practicing sin. 2 Peter 2, 19, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So what overcomes you, that is what you are enslaved to. So you see all of this uh, scriptural about 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 being enslaved to sin and if you think this is the thing with our culture because we think that if we're good enough if we if we work hard enough if we don't kill anybody then we're going to be okay we think that the default for human nature is heaven and that's wrong the default for human nature is hell but we think if we white-knuckle sin, if we're just a good person and we, we do some good things, we take care of our family, it's like this. It's like being in a prison. You're, you're in a jail cell. And you say, oh, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to sweep my jail cell. I'm going, to, I'm going to clean up my life. And you, you sweep that jail cell. You sweep it up really good. But at the end of the day, you're still behind bars. And so you can white-knuckle your sin all you want to, but if you have not been freed by the Son, Jesus, you're not free. 
you're still in jail. You're still in slavery. Your master is still sin. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand here. Let's read here. Romans 6.15 says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Okay? We've kind of, he's asking the same question he's already asked uh, at the beginning of this chapter. Um, and, and again, he's just, a lot of people think that being under the grace and not law means that Jesus takes away all the rules. Uh, Ligon Duncan calls this an outback steakhouse theology. No rules, just right. Right? That, think about how dumb that statement is. Okay, the next time you go into outback, you pick up somebody's blooming onion and you shove it right in their face. No rules, just right. No, there's rules. You don't want some big hairy man coming in there with no shirt on eating right beside you in Outback. There are rules, thankfully, right? There's rules. But this is the way a lot of people see grace. It's like, oh, no rules. This is great, right? That's not what Jesus didn't come to obliterate the rules. That is not what he did. That's not what he does. But a lot of people think that being under grace, not the law, means that we don't have to keep the rules, now, now let me, let me talk this. There is a heart change. What Christ does when he comes into your heart and life is he takes your stone heart and he gives it life. He takes your dead heart and he makes it beat. That's what Jesus does. So there is a transformation in you that goes from hating the law of God, seeing the law of God as a burden, looking at the church and seeing it as foolish, seeing it as why would anyone do that? to transformation of heart, coming under God and saying, oh, this is good. This is what I want to do. The law of God is what I want to do. Jesus has transformed our hearts, and we no longer see his law as a burden, but we see it as a blessing. This is what happens when we have a heart change. We, you know, we no longer see coming to church as an obligatory thing that we do to get our goodness checked off. We see it as, oh, that's the lifeblood of the body, of, of what God is doing in the world, and I want to be a part of it. It's a heart transformation. We, we no longer see the, the, the commandments of God as a weight, but we see it as Oh, just uh, grace given to us to tell us what pleases God and how to live lives that please Him. This is what, yes, so yes, there is a transformation of our heart that makes us want to please God, want to do the law. But, I'll say it like this, that does not mean that God freed us from obeying. Just, just because, yes, it is a heart change, there's still a standard. There's still a law that falls on everyone, believer, non-believer. It doesn't matter. There is a standard uh, that, that we'll, everyone will be judged by. The law, everyone will be judged by that law. Now, for the believer, Christ in his obedience on the cross made a way for us to have a perfect life. That's how we have salvation. He transforms our heart. We want to please God. But there's still an, uh, a law for us. We still draw in to want to do the things that God loves. That's what we do. There's still a law. 
So Jesus didn't come to obliterate the law. Uh, uh, matter of fact, in Jeremiah 31, it says that a new covenant Christian has the law written on their hearts. So the law is very close to us. It's what we, it's, 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 it's the way we are supposed to live. It's the standard that God has set. It says, live this way. Now, in our own power, we can't do it. With the power of Christ, in Christ we are made perfect. He's lived the perfect life. But he even enables us to begin to accomplish some law. To, to live a life that honors God in that way. But the problem with us is that we, we kind of, well, wait a minute. But the problem isn't the law. The problem isn't the rules. The problem is sin. If we have this hatred towards God's law, it's probably just the manifestation of the real master of sin still working in our life. Because God's law is good. It's just. It's holy. It's, it's, it's you, know, we, you know, that's why the psalmist says, uh, he says, I love your law and meditate on it day and night. It's a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It's a blessing. It's a beautiful thing for us to have. It's a beautiful thing for us to, to live at. Now, when we fail at the law, and we will, that's where the grace of God comes in. But it's not a people who want to take advantage of that. We are a people that say, oh, praise God that he's laid out a standard. Praise God that he enables me to be able to see that standard and, and gives me the strength and power to be able to accomplish, even, even if it's just trying to accomplish that standard. I don't depend on it for salvation, but once I'm saved, it is the way towards, just, towards sanctification. That's the law. And that's what, that's what Paul is talking about here. Uh, grace, grace means we've been transformed. We've been made to walk in newness of life and to be able to walk towards the law that God has set out. Now, let's keep reading. In verse 16, it says, 16 through 18, Do you not know... That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching of which you, you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, for now, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Okay, so Paul, he says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms. He's given us a negative illustration of, of slavery to help us understand what our spiritual condition is, right? Uh, and so he says, uh, do you not know that, you, that you're slaves to the one you obey? So it's really, it's really remedial. It's easy. Who you serve is who your master is. That's what Paul's saying. Whom do you serve? Who you obey is who your master is. Uh, every, everybody is a slave to either sin or to righteousness. Who's your daddy? Who's your master? Look at your life and say, okay, who is my master? Who am I chained to? Who is, whose authority am I under? That's what Paul is saying here. 
he's, he's, he's just saying, man, everyone is slave to one or the other. Which one are you a slave to? Uh, now, let me be clear because uh, our cultural context for slavery is you are, you are snatched from your homeland, stolen from families, ripped apart from families, uh, put on a trade block, sold, bought, made to do harsh labor against your will. That's what our cultural context for slavery is. Now, when Paul is writing, that is not his cultural context for slavery. If you look, uh, it's basically what he's referring to is, is indentured slavery. It is uh, in, in this time, and this is why when you read passages in the Bible about slavery, you have to take our cultural context of slavery out of the equation because that is not what it was. What they were dealing with is when a man would get down on his luck, lose his money or whatever, he would offer himself to a family. And he would say to that man, I want to be your slave. Why? So I can have a job. It was a way of providing for him, his family. And they were to be treated well. They were to be treated as part of the family. They were to be treated well. The Bible over and over tells them, you know, you, you see several passages that talks about treating slaves well. We read those and like, oh, look, they promoted slavery. No, the, con the con context for slavery was way different than what we have in our minds. Okay, this was not force. This was not against their will. This was a, a, a way to provide for their family, to take care of their family. And matter of fact, there's all kinds of rules about slaves all throughout the, the scriptures. You know, every seven years you would free your slaves unless the slave would say, hey, I want to come back to you and work for you. Then it would be a bondservant. He could be tied to you for life. Right? And so there was, there was all these things, different contexts. But so they would present themselves to a master. The indentured slave would present themselves to a master. Now, before Christ, slavery for you, you had no option. It was like you, you, you were born into the slave to sin. It, here's what you were. When you are freed... When Christ sets you free, when he separates you from sin and death, then Paul is saying, present yourselves. You have an option to present yourselves either back to, remember we talked last week about the lion in the cage. That sin is a caged lion, and the only power it has on you is if you jump in the cage with that lion, right? So you have this option to present yourself either to slave master sin or righteousness, He's saying, present yourself, right? If you are free, if Christ has set you free, then present yourselves to righteousness. Use your, that's why he keeps saying, use your uh, members of your body as a tool for righteousness. You are an instrument for righteousness. He's saying, present yourselves to God. Use your life for righteousness. Um, and, and so in... in uh, and so that's why, that's why he, you know, this is not a, uh, if you are permanently chained to sin, it's not what he's talking about. He's saying, present yourself to righteousness. Let's, let's, uh, let's move on to uh, verse 20 here, because I want you to get, and I'm going to come back a little bit, uh, but I'm going uh, to jump ahead of this verse so you can get some context here. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, 
that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? So Paul said, if being free to do whatever you want is so fun, then, then why does it bring so much shame? Right? Uh, he, he's saying they're presenting themselves to, to the master of sin. If presenting yourself to that master is so much fun, why did it bring so much shame? It's like it's, it would be as ludicrous as us, you know, saying, hey, man, great job committing adultery on your family and absolutely wrecking your entire family. That's terrific. No, don't take joy in that. That brings shame, and we've all got shame. Right? Great job drinking too much and coming home and beating your son. Great, really good job. No. That's, an, that's, that's stupid. We would never do that. Right? And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying those things, and I'm giving you extreme cases, but even the, even the sins that we commit, all our sin brought us to this place of shame. So why, if it brought us to this place of shame, would we give it any glory? Why would we praise sin in any way in our life? Why would we, if we have been set free, why would we come back to the sin that, that put us in that shame for so long? Why would we do that? That's what Paul's saying. He said, there's, there's no reason why you should submit yourself to that slave master's sin. The, the, the crazy thing about sin as a slave master, is it's, it's super deceptive, right? It advertises as if it's giving you life, right? Sin is fun. If you blow all your money on stupid stuff, that's just, it's fun. Just keep doing that, right? Like, that gives you life. You have life if you do. You cheat on your family. You, all these things. You have life. It advertises life. And all the while, it is death. It's giving you death it's as though sin is a vampire and and you embrace that vampire and when you do it gives you this momentary temporary high and you love it you eat it up it, it, it makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside but the small price you pay is it just just bites a little bit and takes just a little bit of blood from you so you get this fun, it's just, but it's just, you embrace that vampire. It's just, it's just a little bit of blood, right? Just a little bit. It just takes a little from you, right? But you get this, right? It just takes a little. And so all the while, you have been duped to think you are getting life, you're getting excitement, you're getting what, the way you're supposed to live. This is the way it is. But in the end, you die. In the end, you are drained. In the end, you have no life. You have been duped. And this is what the world it has been bought. This is what they have bought. They think that this is why we put sin on a pedestal. We say, look how great this is, but all the while it's killing us. It's sucking life from us. The, the, the slave master of sin has one goal, and that's to wreck you. But see, this is why the world's been deceived. They look at the church and they say, that's, God doesn't want you to have fun? Oh, 
No, that's not life. God wants you to go to church on Sunday, be a part of a body and get involved, serve other people. That's not fun. God wants you to show up at 7 a.m. to set up kiosk and pipe and drape. That ain't fun. That's not life. Give money? Sacrificially? Nah. No, that's not, that's not life. That's not fun. And they keep hugging that vampire, man. But those of us who have been saved, those of us who have been brought into the slavery of righteousness, those of us who have had our eyes opened, these things that the world see as a burden are our greatest joys. The church for the believer is one of our greatest joys. It is our favorite time of the week to come together to sing about our great God, to mutually encourage one another. To give is one of our greatest joys. To see God work with the little bit we have to offer. To see him do mighty things with a few dollar bills. You kidding me? To serve so that the name of Christ can be proclaimed. Oh, what great joy. been flipped on its head that's what sin does it deceives it makes you think you're missing out when all the while you're being drained sin does not give it only takes it, it does not restore it only drains it does not give life it only brings death this is why those who come on the Christ have a, begin to have a hatred towards sin because we see how damning it was to us. We see how we bought the lie for so long. And God graciously opened up our eyes. We saw how we were shackled to sin. And it owned us. And it mastered us. It was our daddy. It, it was who we answered to. It was the authority that we fell under. And we see the scars from it. And we, we are transferred by the grace of God from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we come under that and we say, oh, praise God. Be to God that now I am shackled to him, that I'm a slave to righteousness, that I no longer have to buy the lie, but I actually get life. Both here and eternal, I get life and joy. And Paul here is establishing the two masters, and he is simply saying, who's your master? Who are you shackled to? If the Son has set you free, Christian, you are free indeed. 
Stop going back to the life that you don't have to live. Press into God. Know Him. Be conformed to look like Him. I love verse 23. It is a a verse that you should probably memorize. Very powerful verse. The wages of sin is death. The gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. A wage is what you earn. If you worked all week and your boss came to you with a check and he said, Hey, I'm gonna, this is a gift for you. I'm gonna give you this gift. This is a gift from me to you. And you look at it, you open it, and it's your pay for working. You would say, That's no gift. I earned this. I deserve this. I worked all week to get here, to get this check. If I wasn't getting this check, I wouldn't be here all week. Right? You earned it. You deserved it. Right? So the wages of sin is death. You're shackled to sin. It will pay you what you deserve. And what you deserve, your paycheck for sin is death. Now, when you die, that, that will be cashed. That check will be cashed in eternity away from God in hell. That is the payment for sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Free gift. It's not a wage. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. No one can stand up here and say, God's lucky to have me on his team. No. God... That is ridiculous. It is a free gift given by the grace of God that we come under and we say, oh, thank you, God. You've given me the gift of salvation. And notice the end of the passage, it says how that salvation happens. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only way. Here's the thing. If you are a slave, what slave can free himself? Nobody. You don't say, okay, well, I'm done being a slave. No. Once you bond yourself as a slave, you would continue to be a slave until you were freed. This is how salvation happens. You are slave to sin, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 23 says, uh, uh, not 23, I'm sorry, 22 says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. You have been set free. How does that happen? That happens through the cross. If you are saved, it is a free gift of God. He comes in. He says, you are no longer slave to this sin. You come under the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. You were shackled to sin, and he breaks that chain, and he brings you under his authority, his rule, and his reign. It is a free gift of the cross. 
None of you can earn it. You can't white-knuckle your way out of sin. You can't white-knuckle and try real hard and be good enough. It will not work. The cultural Christianity is, if I don't kill anybody, then I'm okay to go to heaven. That is a lie. The only way to enter into heaven, the only way to experience the free gift of, Jesus, uh, of God, of eternal life, is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the only way. There is no hope for heaven outside of Jesus, none. There is no hope to be free from sin and slavery except through the cross. This is why we lift up Christ high, because he is our only hope. He's our only Savior. He's our only way to heaven. He's our only way out from the sin, the slave master that is sin. He's the only way. So today, you have to ask yourself, who is your master? Who is, whose authority do you fall under? And if you would say, man, I'm not a believer. I, I'm, I'm here. I'm in sin. Sin is my slave master. I want to get out of this. You need only to fall upon Christ. It says, believe and you will be saved. He says, come to him. Come to him, and he will free you and bring you into his kingdom. Believe today. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you that you are the rightful master of our souls. And Father, we are bound to you. If you have freed us, we are free indeed from sin and death. And we are bound to you. My prayer is, Father, that you would open our eyes to see who our master is. That you would open our eyes, Father, to know the truth. That you would, I pray that you would save in this place today. I pray, Father, that our church would be willing to step over the line of, um, you know, just perception and what people think of us to say, man, I've been living a lie, slave, I've been a slave to sin. I don't know Christ. He's not my master. And I want him to be my master. And that we would fall upon the cross and surrender to you today. Father, we want you as our master. We love the chains that are righteousness because <laughs> they are not, they are so light. We love the, the bondage to righteousness because it is life. I pray, God, that our church, if they are believers, if they are truly believers, Father, that they would live in that freedom. They would get out from the, the vampire that is sin and death and buying the lies. 
sucking down the enemy's poison. And Father, I pray that you would give us a deep joy in running after you. Give our, make our minds right, Father. Make our minds right. Make our affections right, our motivations right. Let us press into the cross that saved us, that frees us. Give us a deep love for your word, your law. Father, I pray you would work. I pray your Holy Spirit would fall on us. And that we would, at the end of the day, just evaluate clearly that our church would know, one way or the other, who their master is. Who are they chained to? In Jesus' name, amen.